Father, we just love you this morning. God, we just choose this morning, God, to give back the very breath that you've given us and to give it back in worship because you're worthy. God, we just pray this morning that as we hear your word, God, that you'd speak to our hearts. God, that you would show us what we need to see this morning. God, we love you. We give you this service and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The people that Jesus chose to be on his team that would take the gospel to the whole world was not like most people would expect. If we were given the same responsibility that Jesus had to come into the world and assemble a team, make a group of believers, a group of followers, a group of disciples that would learn and grow, come to meet him, and then would spread and take on the responsibility to carry out the message of the gospel to the world, I don't think we would have went to the Sea of Galilee and chosen four fishermen and got a tax collector, found ourselves one that might betray him for money in Judas. I don't know that we would have selected Thomas. Can you imagine going up and having a conversation with Thomas? And you said, Thomas, it looks like the sky is blue today. And he goes, no, nah, I don't think so. Don't look like it to me. I don't think we might have gotten Nathaniel. We don't know much about Nathaniel, but maybe there was a little laziness in Nathaniel. Don't know. Under the tree in the middle of the day. Where should he have been? Should he have been at work in the field? Don't know quite what he should have been doing. But Jesus went and chose people that I don't think we would choose if we were trying to assemble the best team that we could choose. Now, we should have known that. Of course, we would know that because the Scripture clearly says the kind of people that Jesus would choose. And that's really important for our topic for the next two or three weeks. Sinners welcome. Now, in Luke chapter 4, we see in verse 18, Jesus quoting the prophet Isaiah, and the Scripture says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And so Jesus went to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. And so we know that Jesus went to those who were captive. It says that the blind will see. Now the blind physically saw, but also the spiritual blind saw. So he went to those who were blind. And that the oppressed would be set free. Jesus came to set people free from oppression. From oppression. And it says in 19, in that time has the Lord's favor has come. So in the selecting of the disciples, the apostles, and the word apostle means called face to face and sent. So they met Jesus and they were sent with a commission. We also see this planning out in Luke chapter 5, Verse 27 on. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. 
So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, it's hard for us to understand how he was so willing to leave his job and, and not count the cost, we would say, not consider, not take a look at this, not talk with other people. He just simply left. Jesus comes up to him, sees him, and says, follow me and be my disciple. And so Levi got up and left everything and followed him. That lets us know that most likely this was his first and only opportunity to ever follow a rabbi. Everybody else got to follow rabbis, perhaps, in his world. Perhaps when he went to the family reunion, they said, you know, this tax collector business is not, uh, is not suited for you. You're not being chosen. Everybody despises you because you're a tax collector. Fat rabbi down the street overlooked you. The rabbi in the next village, when he was selecting his disciples, he overlooked you. And here you are without a rabbi to follow. You're not being groomed. You're not being taught. Religiously, you're a failure, Matthew. And you're seen as, as, as despicable because you're in the cheating game, cheating people out of their money, getting all the taxes required, and then getting what you can out of people for yourself. I, I kind of believe that Matthew, he stewed on that. I'm sure as he saw everyone come and go, he saw disciples with rabbis. It was the way it happened. In that day and time, a rabbi was looked upon by his disciples. If his disciples were sharp, growing, um, you know, they were uh, being educated, if they were getting, moving up in commerce, if their economy was changing, if your disciples were getting better and better houses, if your disciples had better and better looking mules, if your disciples were trading in this portion of land for another portion of land, why, that made the rabbi look good. And so when that rabbi went through the village looking around, he looked for the potential of potential disciples that would really make him look good. He'd go to Harvard, find the best out of Harvard. He'd go to Rice. He'd find those band members in the Rice band because it's obviously they're smartest ones in the book. That's what he would do. He would go to the Marine Corps and find the, the, the clean, the, the crew, the best ones, the cream of the crop, if that's what he wanted. He would go to the government and find the ones that have risen up. That's what he would do. And he would assemble himself some men that would follow him and would make him look good. Not Jesus. Jesus told Matthew, come follow me and be my disciple. Matthew had been overlooked. He was done. And so immediately when Matthew has an opportunity to Finally, follow a rabbi, he's in. He got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. 
many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. So you got a room full of IRS men. Who wants to go eat there? Right? We don't know who these other guests are, but they're probably not the cream of the crop. They're probably not the well-educated. They're not the well-respected ones. They're the ones that just are also rands, maybe average guys. And the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Peter, James, John, and Andrew at this point, I reckon. Hey, what's the deal with your rabbi? What's the deal with your Jesus? Why do, why do you eat and drink with such scum? I got real excited years ago. I heard there was a church in Denver called the Scum of the Earth Church. I thought, that's where I want to go to church. I want to go to church where the scum of the earth meet. That's who's in the home. That's what the disciples say. The scum of the earth are in your house, and Jesus is okay with it. The scum of the earth, they're in the house, and Jesus is okay with it. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. That is very different than anything the Pharisees had ever considered. That's not the way it would be. That's not the way it should be. He's calling those who don't need a doctor. No, he's calling those who do need a doctor. He's calling the sick. He didn't come to those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and they need to repent. Now look in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. He always accepted dinner invitations. And he didn't care whose house it was. He went to Matthew's house with all the tax collectors and other guests. Later, we know he went to Zacchaeus' house. Didn't, he wasn't concerned with what people thought about Zacchaeus. And here, he goes to Simon the Pharisee's house. He's always going to dinner. He's always hanging out with people who'll want to hang out with him. It didn't matter what kind of status they had in society. He didn't care what the religious establishment thought about these people. He was willing to hang out with them. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, 
she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She was a woman of the city. We can speculate what her sin was, primarily what her job was. Perhaps she was a prostitute. Many people believe this is Mary Magdalene. Don't know. But she's known as an evil woman. She's known as a woman of the city. And she brings in a beautiful alabaster jar perfume. Most likely, this is the most expensive thing she has. Most likely. So she's literally coming in to see Jesus, and she brings in her savings account, and she lays it at his feet. She knelt behind him at his feet. You see, they would, they would recline at the table. They would lay on their right hand, and they would eat. They would recline. They'd sit on the floor with a low table. They've had some cushions in there, and they'd recline in there. And she comes from behind him, and she begins to wash his feet, anoint his feet, clean his feet, and her tears fell all on his feet. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and purting putting perfume on them. Quite different than what Simon did. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Now, Simon didn't say that out loud. He thought that. Did he catch that? He said to himself. He judged her. He ridiculed her in his mind. He loathed her. He was disgusted with her. How dare this rabbi allow this sinful woman to touch him? What kind of guy is he? What, what kind of prophet is he? Well, he's no prophet. He's no prophet I would respect. He's no prophet I would recognize, Simon says. And Jesus answered his thoughts. Doesn't Jesus answer your thoughts sometimes? <laughs> Haven't you thought something and immediately Jesus answers your thoughts? Have you judged someone for how they look and immediately you judge them? That's going on here, isn't it? Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. <laughs> I love that. Go ahead. Try me. Go ahead. See if you can throw anything at me that's going to cause me troubles. Go ahead. I, I know what I'm doing here. Go ahead. If you think you're a big boy, step up to the table and let me have it. Let it fly. I think that's Simon's spirit here. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. See, Simon knew or believed that he had all the answers. 
There wasn't anything Jesus could say to him that was going to cause him any kind of problem whatsoever. He's in charge. It's his home. It's his deal. He's got Jesus right where he wants Jesus to be. I mean, as soon as Jesus has his speech, his whatever he's about to say, you know that Simon is ready to nail him at every single issue and every single point, and he is going to make it crystal clear that Jesus is no prophet because he let this sinful woman touch him. And so Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So they had a debt they couldn't pay. They had a debt they could not pay. They could not sell all they had to pay these two debts. They could not work long enough to pay these debts. They were in over their head. They were indentured servants. They just couldn't pay this debt. They had a debt they could not pay. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Now, don't debate with Jesus. Don't argue with Jesus. Don't give Jesus what you think is your best response, thinking that you're going to win the conversation if it's a, it's a debate or some kind of argument because you can't beat Jesus. Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Now, I see Simon in this regard. I see Simon looking around going, yeah, I know the answer to that. That's a simple story. That's a simple answer. The one who owed the most money was more grateful than the one who owed less money. That's right, Jesus said. Simon, yep. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, turn to the woman and said to Simon. Do you see that picture? And he says, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Where'd Simon go? He didn't go anywhere, but you know that he retreated. Oh. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, that's key in this scripture. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. No question about that with Jesus. Jesus is not overlooking her sin. Jesus is not condoning her sin. Jesus is not ignoring her sin. Everyone is in agreement that she is a sinner. Even Jesus, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. 
so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She was welcome in Jesus' presence. She was a welcome sinner in Jesus' presence. Sinners are welcome. Jesus came to reach sinners. Jesus came not for those who think they're not sick. He came for those who recognize they're sick. He didn't come for the self-righteous. He came for those that realize their righteousness is never going to be enough to make them right with God. That's who he came for. He came for the weak. He came for the despised. He came for those who have been mistreated. He came for those who are experiencing great injustice. Now, why did he come for those? Because he is building himself a family. He is building himself a team. He is building for himself a church that will make him known. And God the Father, Jesus' Son, realize, know, understand that the heart that's most likely to make him known is a heart that recognizes that they're a sinner and they have sinned and they have nothing to offer and they, are, they receive payment for a debt that they can't pay. And those are the ones that change the world. Those are the ones that love much. Jesus came for those who will love much. He loves sinners. He welcomes sinners. He sees potential in sinners. Perhaps he saw the potential in Simon, but at that particular time, he saw that the self-righteousness of Simon is not conducive for one who's going to love much. But the sinful woman, she's going to love much. Some lessons for us today. Number one, Jesus loved everybody in the house. Jesus did not hate this Pharisee, hated his sin, but, but he loved everybody in the house. Now, I know that Jesus hates people for their sin, and, and there's no question about that, and that's a theology thing, but in that house, Jesus loved everyone in the house. We are to love everyone in the house. We are to love everyone in the house. We are to love those who don't believe they have sinned. We are to love those who know they have sinned. There's no question as well that in this story, a man loaned two people 500 pieces of silver and the other one 50 pieces of silver. There, there's no question that the lady saw herself as the one that was given 500 pieces of silver and she was forgiven. And Simon the Pharisee believed himself to at least be the 50 piece silver sinner. Not much. Managed sins. A few white lies here and there. Uh, uh, 
perhaps a few improprieties here and there, but nothing that's really major, nothing that would place him in a bad standing with God. Self-righteous. Just as good as anybody down at the church. Just as good as all the hypocrites that go to church. Just as good as any of them. Good family, right and wrong, manage well. Haven't been caught in any kind of major, you know, problems. That's Simon the Pharisee, managing sin well. But the lady saw herself as the 500-piece silver sinner. When we lack gratitude for the grace we've received, we gravitate to religion. There's always a danger with that. You always got to be aware of that. When you were saved, perhaps you were like this woman. You knew your sin was great. You repented of your great sin. You turned to him and you had much love because you recognized that your sin separated you from God and you owed a debt that you could not pay. And you heard the story of Jesus. You heard about the cross. You heard about him dying for your sins and you received him and you were forgiven and you had joy and you had love and you had life. And there were a few years there where all was well between you and the Lord and you were loving much. But as time went on, you forgot how much you've been forgiven. You became morally more responsible. You became morally more upright. You started learning all the religious lingo. And as time went on, grace was taken over by religion, by works. We have to be careful of that. We have to be careful when we look down on other people because we're better than they are. And you know, that's a problem that many of us believers struggle with. Right now, the Holy Spirit is probably making you aware of some events like that. Maybe some people have walked in this church and you looked at them and went, they don't belong here. That's religious. Jesus would welcome them all. We should welcome them all. Be careful that when you lose sight of your grace, be careful when you lose sight of, you're just like this lady. I'm just like this lady. We are to love much because we have been forgiven much. Now, I think it's clear to say here, a lesson for us, Simon was more concerned with the outside than he was with the inside. He was more concerned with appearances because after all, his, his main problem here is, is that this supposedly prophet let this evil woman touch him. What are the people going to say about that down at the synagogue? What are they going to say at the temple? What are they going to say when people realize that in Simon's house, Jesus allowed himself to be touched by this evil woman? Evil women do not come to Simon the Pharisee's house. He was more concerned with the outside. We've got to be real careful when our religion is put on your Sunday best. We've got to be real careful when our religion is be really moral. We got to be really careful when our religion is isolation. Guard yourself from evil sinners. Guard your children from evil sinners because that's our religion. 
versus teaching our kids how to handle people and deal with people and be strong in the Lord and make good choices and good decisions. I reckon this Simon, he didn't hang out with people that made him look bad. Simon believed that sinners stunk up the place. He didn't see through the lens of the ability of God to change people. He believed that people were like they were in their sin. After all, there was no gospel message being preached that would liberate people. People had to change themselves. They had to do better works. They had to try harder. They had to be more devoted and and just heaped a burden on people. That's why Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's not do more, it's not do better, it's be forgiven. It's not more information, it's transformation that Jesus came to give. Simon didn't hang out with sinners and Jesus was always willing. Simon didn't see his own sin because he was only focusing on her sin. At some point of this evening, in the first of this evening, before the conversation really takes place, and, and, and before this lady walks in the house, Simon's going, I'm going to get him. I'm going to trap him. I'm going to back him in a corner, and he's not going to be able to get out of it. And our religion is going to reign supreme over this Jesus. How do you see people? As beyond change, or do you see people as great potential to change? Never lose sight of grace that you received. Never forget your sin separated you from God. And you're born again now. You're in Christ now. You have eternal life now. But there was a time that you were lost. You were wandering. You were alien from him. And you owed a debt that you couldn't pay. Jesus welcomed the sinner, yet he didn't overlook her sin. He saw the faith, the heart, and the brokenness of this lady. And Simon didn't share that. He didn't share the faith. He didn't share the heart or the brokenness of this lady. That's why it was very clear, Jesus said, he came not for those who think they don't need a doctor. He came for those who realized they were sick. Simon didn't believe he needed a doctor. The woman knew she needed a doctor. Now, as we go and come, as you travel, as you move, as you go to work, as you go to the supermarket, as you do all these things, as you go and come in life, when you see people, don't see their sin, don't see how they're dressed, don't see how they act, don't see how they are, see their potential. I mean, wouldn't it make sense that as God's people, that we would look around the people that are lives and, and we would go after those first with the gospel of Jesus, with the love of Jesus, those who are least likely to receive it from a human point of view. Why? They make the best lovers. They make the best worshipers. They're the ones that Jesus is called. 
And at this particular time, Simon's not there. At this particular time, the girl, the lady, the evil woman, she's there. And she's, make, she's going to become a great lover of Jesus, a great worshiper of Jesus. It should change the way we go about our life. The broken, the downhearted, the confused, the harassed. They're the ones Jesus came for to build his team. Because it's very clear in this scripture, Jesus tells you, I tell you in verse 47, her sins, and they are many. He didn't overlook her sin. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Sinners are welcome. That's to be the atmosphere in our church family. Sinners are welcome. People who are broken. People who are messed up. People who don't have it all together. They are welcome here. They have to be welcome here. If they are not welcome here, we are not honoring Jesus. If, if sinners are not welcome in this congregation, then we're just a social club that come together, and we only want people in our club who are like us that meet the requirements of our club. That's not what Jesus desires of you and I. That's not what Jesus wants of this congregation. Jesus wants from this congregation that we are a congregation that love regardless, that sinners are welcome. Sinners are welcome here. After all, we are all sinners. We are all sinners been a Lido a few years now, and I've noticed that no one wants a Lido to grow until they get there, right? Right? Isn't that the way it is in Lido? Some of you that have been here a long, long time, you're going, man, that's the way it is for me. And, and we all, you know, it's okay that Lido stops growing as, as long as I get there, right? I've heard that said over and over and over years in all the different transitions that go on out here. Hope a Lido stays small. Well, you're moving here, change that, Right? <laughs> It was small until you came and you came and you came and you came. It was a small little place until all you people came, right? Many times that same mindset is in the church. We can't be. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of Jesus. Now, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I fit in the church, and I'm okay, but we don't want these other people who are sinners to be part of our church. That's not the way of Jesus. Sinners are welcome. Matter of fact, the scum of the earth are welcome. I happen to be a scum of the earth. I am a sinner saved by grace. I love Jesus a lot because there was a lot of sin in me. I still have great capability to do wrong. It's in me. I'm still fighting my sinful nature. 
I have to be in the Word. I have to pray. I have to be in groups. I have to have accountability. And I'm a pastor. That doesn't matter. Pastors, I don't care what they've told you. They're messed up just as much as anybody else is. They may act like they're not, but they're lying to everybody. We are to recognize who we really are. You see, in this story, the greatest lesson for us is this lady really, truly recognized who she really was, and Simon the Pharisee did not recognize who he was. She knew that she was a sinner. She knew that she had a debt that she could not repay. Somehow or another, she had some kind of encounter with Jesus, or she had the hope infused of Jesus. And when she heard that Jesus was in his house, there was nothing going to get in her way that would cause her and worship this Jesus who offered her such hope. Because she knew that she was a sinner. And she needed the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus. That's all of us. That's all of us. Sinners are welcome. Lord, speak to our heart this morning. May we respond in the way you desire each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward.